You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. To Denver, so that they can hopefully make their flight and, and that. And uh, believe it or not, the two biggest guys, John and Jesse, are the ones who are most scared. <laughs> we'll just say that. They're a little scared. So uh, hopefully they won't try to, you know, exit the airplane, open a cabin door or something on the way there because, uh, yeah, I would hate to try to stop either of those guys and, and subdue them. But yeah, be praying for them. So as a result of that, uh, Brian said, hey, guess what? We're coming into our Easter series. I'm going to do a four-week series. And uh, and then notice how he said, I'm going to do a four-week series. And we're going to be preaching through uh, who Jesus Christ is according to the stance of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And suddenly I'm going, we? <laughs> he goes, yeah, dude, I'm going to be gone two of those weeks. And so, yeah, here I am. And and this is weird because most of our college kids are all still out on break or on the mission trip to, to Mexico. And next week, most of the ladies are going to be gone. So I got to man it up a little bit or something. So just so you wives know, I, I'm going to do my best to talk to your husbands about being sanctified. So we'll see how that goes when, when you get back. But uh, we're going to just jump right into it today. The text is Acts chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there, and I probably should too. And, uh, yeah. So, the Danish people have this, uh, they have this concept, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's wrapped around a word, and it's currently trending Online, if you like to go through Pinterest and things like that, you've you've probably encountered this word. I didn't have a slide for it. I got to spell it for you. It's H G G Y E, if I remember right. No, it's H Y G G E. H Y G G E. Can you imagine trying to pronounce that? H Y G G. It's Huga. <laughs> and I'm probably saying it wrong too. But uh, the idea is, is it's typically translated into coziness. You know, you want if you have a cozy house, you've got higa in your house. If you if Christmas is a cozy time, uh, Christmas is higa for you. If if you're just you know feeling at peace, higa is there. And and coziness really is not the best translation, but we never were very good at translating words like that. Uh, what the Danish say is that this word higa is actually uh, kind of ground down to well being. Well-being. What a great concept, because you see, that is really God's desire for each and every one of us as human beings. You see, Jesus came to give us life, and he came to give us life to the full. You see, what God was trying to say to us is, you can do more than just survive. I want you to thrive. And so he sent Christ to us, and everything that Jesus is, and everything that Jesus has done and is doing... um, Paul pretty much summed up in Colossians chapter 2, and that's on the bottom of your notes down there, Colossians 2, verses uh, 9 through 10. It says this about Jesus, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So that meant that when people saw Jesus, they saw God. When he touched a leper, that was God touching a leper. Uh, when, he, when he fed 5,000 people, that was God feeding 5,000 people. When, when he was nailed to a cross, that was God 
nailed to that cross. So that's what this, this, this text is saying. In Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Now Paul is talking to believers. He says, in Christ, you have been filled in Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. So in a sense, what Paul was saying there is that Jesus is the true source of our figure in every respect. He came to fill us. Now it's interesting, as we as we approach uh, the weeks heading into Easter, we're going to be um, exploring this fullness, fullness in four movements. Um, and we're going to do that as per the doctrinal position of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, you may have noticed behind me, uh, have you ever seen the, the CMA logo? It's these four things all kind of clustered together, which breaks the first rule of logos. You know, keep it simple. <laughs> but this conglomerate of everything is here. So we have behind us the cross, and, and then that's not a cup. Just so you know, the second one is not a cup. Uh, it's a djembe. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's a laver, which is where the priests would go to cleanse and to wash themselves. And then the third is a pitcher, and the fourth is a crown. And each of those represent Jesus Christ as our Savior, our sanctifier, our healer, and our coming king. So each week we're going to take a little bit of those and we're going to look at it. And today we're just going to look at it. We're going to jump right into it. Jesus being our savior. So uh, i got to go back to that slide that everybody kind of giggled at that had that awesome... Uh, yeah, had that awesome picture up there. You, you may have noticed it. While, while Christine's trying to get that back up there, we'll see if that works. So welcome to Common Ground Church, where we're not about slick slide programs and things like that. We're just as broken as our technology is. Okay, there it is. So oh, and there, there it went. Oh, so, so here's this glorious picture. i got to tell you how I came across this thing. So when Allie and Eric were in Seattle, they were searching for churches. And they went and visited a few churches, and they went to this one called Rain City, which is a great name for a church in Seattle, Rain City. And they were meeting in a high school and that sort of thing, and like, it was like a week after you guys had attended, they get a card in the mail, and this is what was on the outside of the card. <laughs> yeah, so you got a Viking holding up an AK-47 with a lightning bolt striking it, and he's riding a unicorn that's basically rainbow-powered out his rear end. <laughs> yeah, a shield full of arrows too. So, you know, I mean, what church sends out stuff like that? Right? I'm thinking churches that have very purposely and intentionally thought about the group they want to reach. You know, because if you open it up and say, this is the weirdest thing in the world, I'm never coming back to this church again, they're probably okay with that. But if you look at this and go, this is incredible, this is awesome, that's probably who they want to come and show up there. So so my wife and I, when we went and visited Allie and Eric, we went and visited Rain City, and it was it was great. The pastor was awesome. The church was a, a super bunch of people and everything. We got back to Rapid City, and guess what showed up in our mail? A Viking running a unicorn. And the best part is, is they put a couple of cards for a, for a coffee shop to go and have a cup of coffee on them as well. So anyway, that's where that all came. And I thought, what an epic way of communicating to a fallen world in a very, very different, different manner. And that's kind of what we're challenged with uh, here today. I want us to look at Acts chapter 4. Um, it's, it's where Peter and John had just got arrested for doing a really, really, really bad thing. They, they healed a guy in Jesus' name. 
And so they were brought before the, the rulers and the elders. I'll just start with verse 5, chapter 4 of Acts. It says, On the next day the rulers and the elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and as the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent, so they brought in the big guns, they brought in the high priestly family here for these two guys, and when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you thought Peter was dangerous on his own when you read through the Gospels, imagine Peter powered by the Holy Spirit. You know, this, this is such a... <laughs> Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, see what he did there? (laughs) If we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, and which became the chief cornerstone. And, and here's our key verse here, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, as uh, as that scripture kind of resonates within us, um, I'm under the assumption that most of us here today know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. That most of us here today have made that decision that says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust in who Jesus is and in what He has done for my salvation. And, and Lord, a lot of us are like Peter and John. Uh, we didn't get it at one point, and then when Jesus made himself known to us, then suddenly um, we're, we're charged with this commission to go and to tell all the world about this one whom was crucified and risen again. And so, Lord, as, as we consider this today, and as we see Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, being a witness to some of the scariest people in his, in his culture at that time, well, Lord, would you just remind us that that's what we're supposed to be doing too? That we're not just here today to understand uh, and hear again the story of Jesus dying for our sins, but we're supposed to figure out how do we take that and tell this world today what that means? How do we go out then with the same old message, but maybe in a new way to tell them of this incredible Savior? This incredible God who in human flesh came to us so that we might have the forgiveness of sin. So Lord, help us to understand that. And uh, Lord, may you uh, be the one who presents this message today, not me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we go to the next slide. Um, <laughs> this is a... This is one of the saddest things that ever happened in current history. When the Affordable Health Care Act was being promoted, this was put on the website. 
All right. And apparently, according to the Affordable Health Care Act, we need to get into some pajamas, pour some hot chocolate, and get to talking about health care. Well, what we need to do is we need to be talking about salvation, but I don't think we need to be getting in pajamas and pouring hot chocolate. But you know what happened because of this one picture? An entire generation, which basically is the mass of our culture right now today, got labeled as a bunch of pajama-wearing snowflakes. Okay? And we tend to put them down. You know, we tend to, to look down our noses on them. And, and, but we have to realize that these are people that need Jesus. They, they need Jesus just as bad as we ever needed Jesus too. And we have this challenge before us. So how do we reach this very, very different generation? And, and that's something I have to emphasize that I'm not just talking about 20 and 30 somethings. I'm talking about an entire culture when I say generation that is a very, very different generation. Um, a lot is being said about uh, this upcoming generation. And, and as I said, they are going to be dominating our world. Or they already are dominating our world, and they're going to continue to do that. And this picture up here is not going to help us. But there's no, de- there's no denying that there, there's something different about them. And uh, it's not like the, the group we grew up with, we might say. So when we go to the next slide here, uh, this will help us to... Uh, get through this. And wow, well, I thought I killed the animations on that. So go ahead and whip through the animations on that slide. Thank you. Um, a lot more could be said about this culture that we're in. Uh, but where we need to begin and what it comes down, when it comes down to communicating who God is, we must understand that, that we're dealing with people that have an entirely different, uh, viewpoint and mindset than we do. Our current culture is becoming more and more clearly defined by these three things. Okay? A complete disconnect from the traditional church. Uh, we're in our second generation, actually, of people who have grown up outside of church. And we're dealing with more and more growth within our population of people who have grown up in church and for one reason or another have decided we're done. We're leaving it. A second thing that defines this culture is that there's a conviction that there's more than one legitimate way to God. And maybe you've encountered that. You've been talking to people and they say, oh, well, that's fine. You know, if Jesus works for you, I think Buddha works for other people. Uh, Allah works for other. I think there's, you know, one God, but many paths that lead to that one God. And that's that's very dominant in the thinking. And how do we take that verse, Acts 4.12, that says there's no other name by which a man can be saved? You know, as soon as we bring that verse out, that's pretty offensive to their thinking. How do we communicate the gospel uh, when it's offensive like that? And the other thing we have to understand is that this current culture has no idea really who Billy Graham is. Okay? Yeah, who died? Billy Graham? Who's he? A lot of us, Billy Graham, man, we know the man. Yeah, We knew that he used to fill arenas and thousands of people would give their lives to Christ when he was done preaching. Powerful, powerful uh, evangelist. And it's not just Billy Graham. There's just lots of reference points that we have grown up with as Christians that are pretty unfamiliar things to some of the people we're dealing with uh, today. You know, interestingly enough, just prior to Billy Graham's uh, death, Gabe Lyons, an author uh, who wrote a book called Next Christians, which is talking about this generation we're trying to reach, uh, he had the opportunity to sit down with Mr. Graham, and this is what Billy told him. He says, I remember the days when we filled arenas with thousands of people 
And God's Spirit would move and, and hundreds would come forward at the altar call to receive Jesus Christ. Those days are over. Billy Graham said that. Those days are over. He says, I perceive that the Holy Spirit will be reaching people in a new way. It'll be in the marketplace, and it will be in smaller settings, but even more will come to Christ than we have seen before. So I'm hoping that Billy Graham, who is the evangelist of my age, is the prophet for the next age. And I, and I believe he's right. I believe there's a shift in how evangelization is going to be done uh, in our world, how we get this news out to Jesus Christ. So I want us to examine some points here on how we take a different approach in telling people about Jesus, our Savior. So, first we have to understand, generations are different, but the gospel is the same. Now, no matter how weird the next generation might seem to you, you have to remember this, they're human beings, just like we are. And they have the same need for a Savior, just like we did. Uh, the human condition has not changed at all, even though there might be uh, different parameters or, or uh, defining marks about a generation. But we have all been made in the image of God, whether we're, whether we're boomers, whether we're Gen Xers, whether we're millennials, or whether we're Generation Z, which is coming up. We're all made in the image of God. We've all rebelled and gone our own way, and we all need the same grace of forgiveness and a substitute who will stand in our place. Now, a lot of people are looking at this current generation, they're saying, but it seems like so many of them are abandoning the faith. You want to know what's really happening? There's a crisis between inherited faith and chosen faith. Inherited faith is the faith that says, well, I grew up in the church. My parents are Christians, so I guess I must be too. And there are many, many people who have been going to church who kind of have been living a second-hand faith, a second-hand relationship with Jesus Christ. They've never made, they've never come to that point of knowing Jesus as their Savior, just as somebody else's Savior, so he must be our Savior too. And because of that, eventually, they've never made that life-changing commitment to Christ. They've never had that real encounter with him for themselves, never apprehended their own faith, they fall away. So they're really not falling away from faith at all. They're just falling away from a second-hand inherited faith. But what we are seeing is a resurgence of young people in the millennial generation as well who are choosing faith, who are making that decision on their own to come to Christ. Sometimes they have to fall away from their second-hand faith so that they can make up their minds themselves that Jesus is their Savior as well. So, generations are different, but the gospel's the same. Same power to reach people. Next slide. We have to assume that uh, the people we're sharing Christ with today share none of our Christian perspectives. When I was teaching Rhapsody Christian High School, I had a stunning day of disbelief. I was up there teaching a lesson about something, I don't remember what, and I referenced Gilligan's Island. <laughs> okay, now a few of you are giggling and going, I know Gilligan's in there. There's a few of you are going, what? 
And I realized that I had attained that age where I was speaking to a generation that did not grow up with the same things I grew up with. And I said, you, you guys don't know Gilligan's Island, the skipper, Gilligan, the professor, and, you know, we can start singing the song, you know. You, you had to make up your mind whether you would date Ginger or Marianne. <laughs> all these, all these things. I mean, I watched Gilligan's Island so much that when, when they were doing the reruns, when they would open up with that scene and they'd pan across the lagoon of the island, I could tell you which episode it was. That's all it took. And now I was talking to a bunch of kids that looked at me and they said, I never heard of that. So immediately I said, my kids are not growing up without Gilligan's Island. So I went out and found the DVDs and I popped them in for them. So you guys got to watch this. It's the greatest show on earth. <laughs> First thing they said to me is, what's wrong with our TV? Because season one is all black and white. Filmed in black and white. And they had no concept that some of us, when we grew up, if we were lucky enough to have TVs, we didn't have color TVs. Some TVs, that's all you ever got was black and white, no matter what season you watched. You know, so they were, uh, all right. Well, I think they made it into about the third or fourth episode. They came upstairs. This is the greatest show on earth. They just love Gilligan's Island, you know. And and I, I just realized sometimes people grow up with stuff, and and others grow up with you know something completely different. And we have to find those connection points. You know, actually, Jesus is the greatest show on earth, and we have to figure out a way to 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 get him in in front of them so that they hear about him like they've never heard about him before. In this current generation, we can't just start a conversation with God with these people. We can't start with the Bible with these folks. We can't launch from Jesus because they're totally unfamiliar with what all those things are and they don't have the same perspectives we do. In some cases, if they are familiar, they have a caricature of Jesus or Christianity or God. And it's not a very flattering caricature. So we have to figure out how can we connect them to who this great, wonderful Savior is. And this is the thing the church needs to learn. This will take much time and many conversations. It doesn't work to stand on a street corner and scream at people and think they're going to go home with a faith in Jesus Christ. People today desperately want connection. They want relationships. And in the context of those relationships, we have to do the hard work of building friendships with folks so that we can, in a sense, earn the right to tell them about who this wonderful Jesus is. It takes some steps to get people to see that they can have confidence in the Bible and they can know that Jesus Christ is completely trustworthy and reliable to be their Savior. And that means an investment on our part. Okay, the next one. We have to tell them the entire gospel. For so long, this is how we have communicated the gospel to people. Well, I've got some bad news and some good news for you. The bad news, you're a sinner and you're on your way to hell. But the good news is God loves you. So he sent Jesus Christ, his son, in human flesh to come down here and to take your place on the cross, basically suffering your penalty for hell, and uh, that way you won't have to do it. All you have to do is believe. And, and we go, there it is. There's 
the gospel. Well, there's a problem with that because, you see, what we've done is we've just taken two chapters out of the story and tried to get them to understand the whole story. Lord of the Ring fans here? Okay, all right, a few. I know some of you are going to... Gilligan? Who? Lord of the Rings what? Okay, Google it. Wikipedia, that kind of thing, that'll help you out. But the Lord of the Rings is a series of, you know, three books. And if you want to count The Hobbit as a prelude, I guess you can do that. But uh, if, if you watch the movies or if you read the books, you're not going to get the story or enjoy the story that much or appreciate the story that much if you only read the second book, The Two Towers. Right? Any story. If you jump into the middle of it and skip the beginning and never go to the ending, you're really not probably going to enjoy it that much. Well, here's the beautiful thing. C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien. Heard of those guys? Okay. I had to chat because you don't know who Billy Graham is. You're probably not going to know who they are. So uh, they were really good friends. And did you know that Tolkien was a believer? And for a long time, C.S. Lewis wasn't. He was a staunch atheist. And they became friends. How about that? And they began going through that long process of long discussions in their friendships. And one day they were just taking a walk. And they were talking about fairy tales. Because they both had a common interest in that. And Tolkien very deftly pointed something out to C.S. Lewis. He said, did you know that all the great stories come from one story? Lewis is like, what what are you talking about? He goes, no, really. Every single story that we know as human beings, every story that we've been passing down through the ages comes from one story. Lewis is like, what story is that? Tolkien said, it's a great story. It's the story of God and his love for this entire world, every people of this world, every nation of this world, and how he sent a Savior to us. And if you think about it, if you look up there at the slide, here is every story, and here is the Bible story. I don't have my notes, so I gotta step over here and look at it. The full gospel begins with paradise lost. Okay? Every single human being you meet understands what death is, and nobody likes it. Doesn't matter what creed you believe in or follow or adhere to, when somebody you love dies, we hate it. We sense the wrongness in death. Every single person out there, every human being has this sense of, hey, we did start off with something good. I'm not quite sure how to quantify it or qualify it, but it seems to me that we had something good at one point and we lost it. And that's the story of the gospel. God created this perfect environment for us to dwell in, but he also gave us a choice to either go our own way or follow his way. And mankind chose to go our own way. And in doing so, we lost that perfect condition and state that we were in. And as a result of that, we become the damsel in distress, so to speak. Now, you notice that in any fairy tale, that's usually what happens. It starts with ooh, the idyllic setting of the, the princess in the castle and all that. And then, I don't know, she touches a spinning wheel and it screws her life up. 
and we're in a state where we need someone to come and rescue us because we're not capable of rescuing ourselves. We try as hard as we can to rescue ourselves, and every human being gets that struggle too. They think that there's some code they have to follow or something that's going to help them regain what has been lost. And then comes the knight in shining armor. Charges up, slays the dragon, gets the princess out of that tower or castle she's been locked away in all that time. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that geared up, suited up, and showed up to defeat the dragon that none of us could ever defeat. To set us free from the chains that none of us could ever break. And then we forget this part of the story. And then there's happily ever after. You see that in every fairy tale, every Disney movie that you watch, every book that follows this this Western thought of storytelling, it goes from had a good thing, lost a good thing, rescue, return back to the good thing. And and that's we leave so much about the first part or the first chapter and the last chapter, and people there are they're dying to hear that. So when we put Jesus in the context of the whole story of the Bible, it begins to connect the dots for them, and it begins to make sense for them. So don't just tell them half the story. Tell them the whole Bible narrative through that model right there. Okay, fourth uh, point that is good to know. You've got to be confident in your faith in Jesus Christ. They're wrestling with this concept of who Christ is and what he has done for them. It's not an easy thing to deal with. I still remember 18 years old, guy coming up to me, basically telling me the middle chapters of the gospel. Hey, you're going to hell, this kind of thing. I didn't like hearing that. That that created the crisis. Then he started telling me about Jesus. And I just could not get grace. I, you know, I was okay with Jesus. You know, I didn't have anything against him. I just didn't understand grace. And I had to wrestle for five years before I finally understood what grace was and how much I needed it and who I could apprehend it through. Please understand that when you're sharing Christ with somebody, you're asking them to wrestle with something. And it's going to take some time to get through that wrestling match. And what they need to hear from us is, hey, your wrestling match was once mine. These issues that you're trying to get figured out in your head and how Christ figures, I was there too with you. Okay, And I get it that it's not just an easy, blind faith, just jump in and everything's going to be fine thing. Um, Let's wrestle through it together. Because as you display your confidence in things, and, and how you went through some things. And that makes it all the more easier for them to connect the dots to their need for Jesus Christ. Um, just simply uh, let them know that your faith isn't flimsy. You know, let them know that your faith isn't just blind acceptance. Well, oh, you just got to believe. I, uh, I was working in a youth group some time ago, and um, there's a middle school kid. That was there while I was working with that group, and uh, and and I left to go off on another work. Uh, and many years later, I came across this kid's sister, and I said, "Hey, uh, Tammy, how's how's Nate doing? I haven't seen him since he was this little snot-nosed twelve-year-old. And how's how's he been doing?" And she kind of hung her head down. And she said, "Oh, 
When he got to be about 16, he was struggling with a lot of concepts about faith, and he he was trying to understand them, and and some doubts arose, and so he went and he talked to the to our senior pastor at that time. I said, "Okay, how'd that go? Not good." So what happened? Well, as as Nate began to share where his doubts and struggles were, the pastor said, "Son, come back to me when you have a little more faith." Nate never came back. That was the day he left that church. And we have to understand that a lot of people are struggling with doubts. And being a Christian doesn't mean you don't have any doubts. You know, know, faith is not this great leveler of all of our doubts and objections. Actually, faith is the light that reveals our doubts and our misgivings as we continue in our pursuit of God. Every single one of us here, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus Christ, are struggling with doubts from time to time. There's things I read in the Bible after 35 years of reading the Bible that makes me go, Faith doesn't just take that away. Faith is the thing that I cling to as I continue to pursue God through that issue that I'm having a struggle with. That for some reason it's not connecting in my head. If they just see it, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ and it was tiptoe through the tulips ever since then. All puppies and pansies. They're going to go, I don't want to listen to you. <laughs> but if you're able to say, I get it, it's tough, it's hard. There, there are days I just don't understand. There are days I get kind of mad at God, those kind of things. But you know, it always comes back down to this, who Jesus Christ is and what He's done. And that's what I cling to as I wrestle through the other things. And if they can see you have confidence in that, that gives them an idea that they'll be able to stand on the same stepping stone you went to. And then here's the final thing. You've got to run them to the tomb. Anytime you're telling anybody about Jesus Christ, run them straight to the tomb. Because you already know this. If you've had any conversation with somebody who's not a believer in Christ, they are going to throw all this clickbait at you. Okay, all these distractions that you're going to be tempted to land on going, man, I've got to, I've got to answer that one. You know, and there's just some examples up there on the slide. You know, well, Christians are just anti-science. And so we're like, okay, I've got to explain to them who Francis Bacon is. No, that's not what you got to do. You know? uh, why is the church so homophobic? Oh gosh, now I got to explain Deuteronomy and Leviticus to them and how that fits in the whole story of the law and its connection to who Jesus is. No, you don't have to do that. Oh, I don't like the teaching about hell. Well, I don't either. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But that doesn't mean I can throw it away. But, you know, and then we got to somehow figure out how to justify this loving God who, you know, who sends people to hell. How does that work? No, you don't have to answer that yet either. Well, the church is just extremely arrogant and exclusive. What do you mean, exclusive? You say that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Yeah, you're right. We don't mean to be arrogant about that. I'm sorry that we have. But he is the only way to salvation. And now we have to defend that. And you're not going to be able to defend that by explaining homosexuality and what the Bible says about it or what our stance is about science or that sort of thing. You can only explain that by doing what Peter and John did, and that was race to that tomb. Get them to that tomb. 
Because Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ full stop. Because if Jesus Christ were not raised, as Paul said, we of most people are to be pitied. We're the most pitiful bunch that ever lived. That's a pretty strong statement. So we better understand where the resurrection fits in with all of this. Like I said, they're going to put up a lot of smoke screens. They're going to throw out a lot of clickbait, so to speak, at us to try to distract us. Do not take it. See, those are questions that can be answered. But first, we have to answer this question. Is Jesus who he said he is? And did he do what the Bible tells us that he did? And the empty tomb is the deciding factor. On that. Now, this is not the time for me to tell you how to defend the resurrection. Though that's really fun to do. And I'd be glad to do that at some point. But believe me, if you have any faith in Jesus Christ, you know that the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins on a cross and came out of the grave three days later, that is what seals our decision. He would not have come out of that grave if he was not who he said he was and did not come to do what he said he came to do. You know, and then I'm going to say, yeah, okay, all right. But you know, there's just millions of religions out there. Millions of them. How can you say that, that this is the one? Well, let me start with this. First of all, Jesus is the only founder of a faith system that died and came back from the grave. You can go to all the other tombs and their bones are still there. But not Jesus. So that makes him a little bit different than everything else. Different from all these other millions of religions, as we say. But then let me tell you another thing. There really aren't millions of religions. There's really only two faith systems. One is, I can do it by myself. It doesn't matter what ism you put on the end of it. It's Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, or Hinduism, and on and on and on we go down the list. They are all falling under the category of somehow I am able to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and earn salvation, earn perfection, earn a place with God. Jesus is the only one that says you can't do it. He had a really good thing. And he chose to go another way. And as much as that hurt my heart, (laughs) and as much as it put you into bondage, and it put you into that struggle where you kept trying to break free, and trying to break free, and trying to break free, and you could never somehow break those chains, and the dragon was just too big for you, I came. I came and I slew that dragon with my own death. And just so you would know, there's a happily every after I came out of the grave. Because you see, works isn't going to cut it. It's grace. It's grace alone that restores us back to God. And that's what we mean when we say Jesus is our Savior. We cannot save ourselves. The only source of salvation 
is God taking our place, slaying our dragon to restore us back to what we have lost so that we can know what it is to live eternally with him. So when we read Acts 4.12 and it says there's no other name by which a man can be saved, we have to understand it in its context. Jesus is an exclusive Savior. That means He's the only way. There's no apologies about that. But He can universally be accepted. Because it wasn't much long after that that these guys went out and they talked to Gentiles who had no clue about Israel's history or a Messiah or anything like that. And they began to believe in Jesus Christ. And then they moved out through the Roman Empire telling the Greeks and everyone else that they could about Jesus Christ. And they were able to know Him and accept Him as their Savior. And then when the barbarians came down out of Europe and sacked Rome, guess what happened? Some of them had already heard about Jesus Christ thanks to Roman soldiers who were believers. And some of the Galatians that Paul wrote to went back up into Europe and talked about Jesus. And so they came in and they at least had some kind of knowledge about Christ and then they gained even more. So they went and they took Europe. And so then you had all these barbarians. Talk about a different group of people dwelling up in northern northern uh, Europe and whatnot. And they were able to accept Jesus Christ. It didn't matter what their history was, what their culture was, or what generation they came from. The gospel is the same in every generation, and the gospel alone is the power to save. And then came the Vikings, who had never heard of Jesus because the church never went into Scandinavia. And oh, what havoc the Vikings wrecked. We haven't seen brutality and violence very often as it was in the scope of the Viking era. They loved to destroy churches and loot them. They loved to take the monks captive and Christian girls as slaves. And then guess what these monks and these Christian girls started doing? Hey, I know you're really into Thor and his hammer's cool and all. But can I tell you about Jesus and his cross? And then this wild bunch of long-haired guys riding unicorns started learning about who Jesus Christ is. It does not matter. Jesus is the only way to salvation. And it doesn't matter what time people live in, what era they're from, or what culture they grew up in they are able to accept Him as their Lord and their Savior. Exclusively, Jesus saves, because He's the only way. But universally, Jesus can be accepted. What an amazing thing. So let me close with this. Here's one thing that you can do right now. And I call it praying for Peter's shadow. Because you might remember this crazy Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, would walk around and his shadow would fall on people, the Bible tells us, and they would become healed. He didn't even have to touch them. He didn't even know he was doing it, which is probably the best way for it to happen. Well, what it was was that Jesus, or that Peter had so much of the presence of Jesus that it was not really a shadow, it was more like an over, overpowering aura that surrounded him that touched people's life. 
Be epic. Pray for that. You know, don't pray for all the right answers to all the objections and questions. Just pray for Christ's presence to be so full in you that your Savior just spills out and starts to touch people around you. You'll be amazed at how that happens. I don't know how many times I've gone to speak at a camp and some kid says, as soon as I saw you, I knew I had to come and talk to you. Okay. <laughs> we started having conversations and, and by accident they become believers. Because I didn't plan it. I didn't lay out the four spiritual laws or that sort of thing to them. They just, in the conversation, they suddenly said, hey, I want to follow Jesus Christ. How do I do that? Pray for Peter's shadow. Pray that your going on into this world takes Jesus to the people that need to hear it. And then the, the second thing I tell you is this. Live a questionable lifestyle. And what I mean is, is follow after Jesus so hard that people can't help but come and ask you questions about that. Hey, I notice that life keeps kicking you in the teeth, but you manage to just, you know, keep plugging along there. Where does that come from? How are you able to do that? When I was working at the Rap City Journal, I, I was an advertising photographer, and I, I got to work in the same darkroom with the news photographers, which really is, I, is they shared their darkroom with me. Uh, <laughs> they, they tolerated the, the, the advertising photographer, you know. So I took jars of, pictures of jars of pickles and used cars and houses and things like that. Um, they're getting out the real news. But there's this one guy, Jim Holland. And uh, Jim and I developed a friendship over the time that we were up there. And uh, and I got fired. Which happens to me a lot, it seems. <laughs> and uh, it, I didn't do anything wrong. The manager of the advertising department just sat down and he said, Hey, I mean, he's, he, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. And I don't ever get fired in good ways either. He sat me down and he said, Hey, he says, you know, our boss, uh, the publisher, just told me that if I can get the advertising budget to a certain point, I'm going to get a percentage added to my salary. And I'm like, oh, good for you, Dave. And he says, yeah, so you're fired. We don't need an advertising photographer anymore. Oh, <laughs> okay. How are you going to do advertising? We're going to ask news photographers to do it. Oh, that's going to be bad. <laughs> I said, okay, all right. Now, it's no fun getting fired. And I was at that point asking God what I should do. Should I, should I continue a career in photography? Should I keep pursuing firefighting? Um, or should I just give it all up and go into youth ministry full time? Kind of thing. And I just thought, okay, this is what God's telling me. I'm going to, I'm going to pursue youth ministry. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And uh, a couple weeks later, it was just before my last day. Jim's in the, Jim's in the uh, dark room with me, and he was angry. He was mad. I said, Jim, what are you so mad about? He says, I'm mad at the way they let you go. I said, you don't have to be mad about that. It's me. It's on me. It's not on you. You're, yeah, but still, it stinks. That was really a rotten Well, I'm not arguing with you, with you on that. It was kind of a rotten way to go, but it's okay. It's going to be all right. He goes, how do you know it's going to be all right? And I said, well, I, I just have faith in God. You know, if, if he can take care of my sins through Jesus Christ, which is the worst thing that I could ever, ever have to face, then I know that anything else in life I'm going to be able to face because he handled that and he's going to handle this too. I don't know what it's going to look like, but he's got it. And Jim said, I do not know what you have, but whatever it is, I want it. 
Well, I tried to explain the gospel to him, but uh, he got called out on a job and things like that. So I, I left going, well, darn. And now I'm fired. You know, when am I ever going to see Jim again? Didn't have cell phones back in that day, so it was easy to get a hold of everybody. And I ran into him three years ago. A believer in Jesus Christ. See, it wasn't me. It took somebody else to come and explain just what he saw. But he had questions about why I could be fired and still be okay. That's the difference Jesus makes in everybody's life. And everybody here who is a believer in Jesus Christ is a witness of our Savior. We are a witness. Our problem is, is we so often use the word witness as a verb when it's really a noun. It's not what we do, it's who we are. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's something you've got to understand. You cannot not witness. You cannot not witness. The question is, is what kind of witness do we leave behind? What do people see? And what people need to see is Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, I think that picture is pretty darn cool. Um, I don't know what it is about it. Unicorns and Vikings and lightning and all that sort of thing blood and thunder but nothing is better than the portrait of you painted in the flesh of Jesus Christ nothing is better than knowing that when we took paradise and crumpled it back up and threw it in your face said now we'll go make our own (coughs) nothing better than knowing you still love us there's nothing better than knowing that that love was so great That when we struggled to rescue ourselves, you came to us. And you broke the chains, and you slew the dragon, you defeated and conquered sin and death and Satan. By dying for us in our place. And Lord, there is nothing better than knowing that there's a happily ever after. Because you vacated your own grave. And said to all who would believe you would do the same for them. So Lord, thank you. Thank you from saving us from our sin. Thank you from saving us from ourselves. Thank you from saving us from the dominion of the devil. Thank you for saving us from death. And rotting in a grave. Lord, we're so grateful for that. Help us to express that gratitude by taking this blessing and this gift and going out into this crazy, mixed-up world and investing ourselves in others to say, here, you too, you too can have this gift. Lord, may we do that. May your kingdom come and may it increase. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.